0: We're going to be bouncing around in a number of places in your Bibles. You can look up on the screen or open up to the verses we have in your outline for you. During the Civil War, a Union soldier from Ohio was shot in the arm. The captain saw he was wounded and barked out an order. He said, give me your gun, Private, and get to the rear. The private handed over his rifle and ran toward the north seeking safety. But after going only a two or three hundred yards, he came upon another skirmish. So he ran to the east, he found himself in another part of the battle. Then he ran west and encountered more fighting there. Finally, he ran back to the front line, shouting, Give me back my rifle, Captain. There ain't no rear to this battle nowhere. (laughs) How many times have we ever wanted to get out of the battle? To get out of the fight, and to get into a place where there's a little less things going on. But it doesn't always seem to be that way. It seems sometimes, no matter which way we go, what direction we're in, that there is battle. There is fight that's going fighting on. going on. In Matthew chapter 13, we looked at the sower who sows the Word. And we see that when he sowed the Word, that a battle ensued. And that for those who didn't have understanding, the birds came and ate the, the seed because there was no understanding. And he, the Word says, Jesus, when He's interpreting it, says he, they stole the Word. The enemy came and stole the Word. Another place, uh, later on down, the seed fell on other ground. And in that ground, the sun scorched it because it had no root, no depth. On other ground, the weeds came and the thorns came and choked it out. You related that to the cares of this world. And then finally, there was good ground in which the seed came and took root, grew, and became fruitful. It so says some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Well, we want to make sure that we, get, we become ground that is good, that we are fertile ground, that we are ground that produces fruit. Last week, we took one beyond there, and we looked at people praying in the will of God, that sometimes people are praying an unknown will. They don't know what the will of God is, and they don't spend their homework to find out what it is. They don't search the Word. They assume that what they've heard is the will of God. They form beliefs based on past experiences or what others have shared. We saw the two paths that come out of not knowing the will of God. One is you approach God and you begin to beg. And we went through the Word of God and looked at some of the people who began to beg God. Some of the examples that were in there. And begging God didn't get a whole lot of attention. Faith got the attention. Other, beside begging, we get confused. We believe what isn't His will. And there's a lot of Christians out there that believe, well, I guess God just does this. I don't understand. And these are confused people. Well, we don't want to go in the way of confusion. We want to go in the way that, that God has for us. We want to go in the way that God is going to be instructing us in His will. We need to know what the will of God is. So when we go to prayer, we ask God for what it is His will, and we believe that we receive those things that He, he says we should have. Well, there's a level of understanding we can have regarding His Word, regarding His will, regarding prayer. Just as in math and science and other such studies, how many of you all remember in, in school, you had different levels of math. You had, you know, the elementary math, and then you had algebra, and then you had geometry, and then you had calculus and other levels of math. And Well, you can't get to the higher levels of math until you go first go through the earlier levels. In science, you have... Basic science, and then you move up to different types of biologies and chemistry and other types of things. And you, there's, there's different levels. But you've got to hit the early levels in order to get to the greater levels. It's the same thing with God. But each level, we put this in your outline for you, each new level carries with it more responsibility. Each new level carries with it more responsibility and greater endurance. We need to grow in our level of understanding of the Word of God because the more understanding that we have of His Word, the more maybe, maybe we're responsible for, but the more we can endure. When tests and trials come against us, we can endure because our level of understanding is greater. In Luke chapter 7, verse 1, this is the story of the centurion, now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. What are they doing? Pleading, pleading and that means they're begging. begging. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with him. Now, notice Jesus went with him, and what did they do so far? Begged. Does begging get God's attention? But it seems to have here, doesn't it? Then Jesus went with him, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. Under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. So Jesus came along, even though the folks begged, and when Jesus became Near to the house. The man sent other servants on out. said, hold on a minute. I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you, let alone to have you come to my house. If you just speak the word. And he said why he believed it was this way. Because I too am a man under authority. I say to this one, go and he goes. This one, come and he comes. What's he saying to Jesus? You are under authority. And if you say to this sickness, go, it will go. And Jesus marveled at his faith. And all he has to judge it is what he said. Which was... I say to this one, go. I say to this one, come. He said, I have not found such great faith in all Israel. Well, the reason that Jesus went is not because they begged. The reason that Jesus went is because in his spirit he knew to go. You see, these servants who came were not representative of the centurion, they were terrible representations of the centurion. Because, first off, when they came to Jesus, they begged Jesus based on the fact that he is worthy. And yet, when Jesus came near the house, the centurion sent word and said, "I didn't even think myself worthy to come before you, let alone to have you come to my house." Was that a good representation? They begged Jesus, and he didn't want them to beg him. He was approaching Jesus in faith. So Jesus, through the Spirit, knew to go, and he answered the faith of the man, not the begging of the servants. So he calls this great faith. It says, "Not even in all Israel have I found this," because he had a understanding of submission and authority. The man had an understanding of submission and authority. He understood that Jesus was submitted, therefore he had authority. In the same way the centurion was submitted to Rome and had authority of Rome, Jesus was submitted to God and had the authority of God. And he could say, did this one go? Or did this sickness go? Or did this thing go? Or did this thing come? And it would do so. Possessing, we put this in your outline, possessing and walking in greater understanding produces great faith. Possessing and walking in greater understanding produces great faith. We need to grow in a place where we have greater understanding. We press in for a greater understanding. Because if I press in for a greater understanding, it will produce great faith. Greater understanding produces great faith. The man, the centurion, had great understanding on this matter. Therefore, he produced in himself... Great faith. And this is where we need to get to. Now look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's break this down. Rejoice in the Lord always. So the first thing he says, and I have these in your outline, How to take them out because there just, you know, some things had to go. So they're still in mine, they're not in yours. You can write them in there if you want to, but you don't have a whole lot of room. (laughs) Always works to bring two things to church. Make sure you bring your Bible and bring some extra paper. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, rejoice. So the first thing he exhorts them to do is rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to all all men. Another thing he says to do is to possess gentleness. Possess gentleness. This is the tough thing because a lot of Christians don't possess gentleness. A lot of Christians are like a bull in a china shop. They just want to bust things up. They see something the matter and they just want to mess with it. We need to have gentleness. This is the thing that he said. He said, first off, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Does that mean every morning? Does that mean every night? Does that mean every afternoon? Does that mean every time at work? Does it mean every time you eat? Does it mean every time you go to bed? Does it mean while you're sleeping? Does it mean when the storms come? When the sun's shining? Always is? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. So, if I ever find a time when I'm not rejoicing, I'm not lining up with this, am I? What's the the cure? Line up with it. Rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. And then it says, possess gentleness. Be gentle with people. Don't be harsh. Don't be... Be, uh, be nasty. Be gentle. Possess gentleness. Now, there are times that gentleness is not called for. But let your gentleness be known to all men. All men should know that you have a gentle spirit about you. They should know that. No, that one, he's just harsh. That shouldn't be known about you. You should be known as being gentle. There are times you have to put gentleness aside We understand. That's why he didn't say, he said, rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say be gentle always, did he? But He said, let men know that you are gentle. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for... So what can I be anxious for? There is nothing I can be anxious for. If I am anxious for anything, am I lining up with this Scripture? If I am worried and concerned about anything, am I lining up with this Scripture? Be anxious for nothing. How about a bad economy? Can I be anxious in a bad economy? If half of the workforce at my job is going to be laid off, should I be anxious? It says, be anxious for nothing. And as far as I can tell, there's no parentheses there with any exceptions. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Powerful verse right there. In everything, so in nothing be anxious, but in everything, bring it to God in prayer. Now, I didn't say bring it to God in prayer and begging. How do you know that? Let your requests be made known to God. Oh, I'm sorry. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. See, begging doesn't contain thanksgiving. Thanksgiving means, oh, glory to God, I got it. Oh, glory to God, that's mine. That's thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you want the peace of God to guard your hearts and minds, first off, rejoice in the Lord always, possess gentleness, be anxious for nothing, and direct your meditation or your thoughts in the way that he he talks about here. He goes on with that. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. That's a pretty good list of things to meditate on, isn't it? So anytime that your mind wants to be wandering, going off thinking on things, meditating on things, bring it over here to this list. Does it line up? Is this something that is good? True, noble, just, pure, lovely. Is it of a good report? Is there any virtue? Or is there anything praiseworthy in this thing? If the answer is no, get rid of it. Toss it out. I don't need to be thinking about that. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you. Again, we're mentioning the peace of God. Do we want the peace of God to be in our life? Oh, we love to have the peace of God in our life. We don't like it when we're, our life is anxious and, and there's no peace in there. We want the peace of God in our life. Well, you can't come up with your own way to get there. This is how it's done. This is the way that God says to do it. Meditate on these things. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. See, this is an attitude that you ought to have with people. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. So these are things that you ought to be having a part of your life. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So he says, put on Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Then he says, bear with one another and forgive one another. Above all, put on love. When we look at our life, have we done this? Have we been walking this way? But above, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond, the perfection. And let the... What? Peace of God, rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. The word there, rule, is the same word or is a word that means to umpire or to arbitrate. And what it talks about is let the Word of God rule, decide which way you ought to go. Let the Word of God be the judge. Let the Word of God arbitrate. How many times have you been in a decision, I can go this way or I can go this way? Oh, how many times have we been in a place like that? I can go left or I can go right. I can go north, I can go south. I can go east, I can go west. I can do two different things. I'm not sure which one to do. I could go this way. I could take that job. I could not take that job. I could move into that neighborhood. I could not move into that neighborhood. I could do this or I could not do this. There's a lot of choices that we have. And He says... Let the peace of God rule. Which way do you have the peace of God? I've shared this with you, but many times when I've had a decision to make, and the decision is left or right, one way or another, this or that, then I just take some time and I just get down on my knees and I just pray in the Spirit for a while. Just pray in the Spirit, building myself up, as the Word of God would say. And I may do that for 10, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it is. I just pray in the Spirit for a little while and build myself up for a bit. And then I begin to envision myself doing the first thing. Still praying in the Spirit. Envisioning myself doing the first thing. Taking that job. Moving to that place. Whatever it might be. And I check down in my heart, my spirit. What's going on there? Do I have peace? Or am I at unrest? And then I picture myself doing the second thing. And most of the time I've ever done that, I have peace one way and not the other. So which one should you do? Well, the Word of God says, let the peace of God rule. Let it be the judge. Let it be the deciding factor. If you need to make a decision between one way or the other, let the peace of God rule you. Too many times we're letting our head rulers. We're looking at circumstances as best we can tell, but the Spirit of God knows a whole lot better. And He can decide. He can help you out. Now, sometimes you don't have to do all that. Your spirit just bears witness with you right off the bat. No, I don't do that. Go over here. Well, don't bother taking any time that the Spirit of God has already witnessed in you, already told you this is the way to go. You are wasting time praying and all you're doing is setting yourself up to disobey God. Don't do it. You don't need to do that for everything. But sometimes if you're just not sure the Spirit of God hasn't come up on the inside of you, hasn't spoken to you which way you should do, which, you should, which way you should go. Then you can do that. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, just let me know here, right here, how many folks this week, last week, last month, sometime in the past, you've had a decision to make and you were either going to go to the left or the right, to the east or the west, to north or the south, take this, not take this, do this, not do this. Some kind of thing came up and up that you were supposed to do. Well, these. And how did you do in making that decision? Did you feel you made the right one? What is it that led you to make the decision that you made? Did the peace of God rule you? Did you need to make that opportunity for the peace of God to rule you? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Well, that gives you a whole lot of attitude in there that you should have as you are letting the Word of God, the Word of Christ dwell in you. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. First off, that word let means it's up to me, doesn't it? I have to let the Word of God dwell in me. I have to let the Word of Christ dwell in me. But don't just let it dwell in you. Let it dwell in you how? Richly. Richly. How many, Do you all know the difference between poorly and richly? Inadequately and abundantly? We all know the difference between that, don't we? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you Richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Well, we all just be going around and just singing the, the songs of God, just go coming up in our hearts. Just uh, be singing praise songs, things like that to God. That should be an attitude. See, if it's not, you say, well, it's just not my personality. No, you're just not a praise and worshiper yet. You're just not one who rejoices in the Lord always. Well, that will have an effect. You can go through life that way, folks. You can even get to heaven that way. But you can't have the peace of God rule in your hearts. You can't have some of these other things that are talked about in here. If you want to have those things, then you need to do what the Word of God said. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, is he writing here in Colossians, is he writing to sinners or saints? Unbelievers or believers? So he's writing to believers, to saints, to people that are born again, and he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Doesn't that mean that in their born again state, the word of God may not dwell in them richly? The word of God does not have to dwell in you richly just because you're born again. You have to let it as a believer. You can't let it as an unbeliever. You can only let it as a believer. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Well, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is up to us. How are we going to do that? Well, we take the Word of God in. We meditate on the Word of God. We think on the Word of God. We've got a whole list of things we ought to be thinking on. Those things, are they foster a good atmosphere for the Word of God. How many of you know you can go out in your garden and you can do some things in your garden to promote growth? You can do some things in your garden that don't promote growth. What are some of the things that we know to do to promote growth in a garden? Water. Water is a great thing. If you don't water the garden, how much growth is there? Not a whole lot. You all know in the summertime when it gets dry and the uh, the rain's not falling a whole lot, how often do you have to cut your grass? Once a week. Once every other week. Once a month. It can get to be pretty low, can't it? But when the rain is falling and the sun is shining and the temperatures are warm, we have to cut our grass twice a week. Twice a week. Cut that grass. Otherwise, it gets to be too tall. Why is it growing so good? Because it's getting some things that it needs. It's getting water. It's getting warmth. What's something else you can do to help promote? Fertilize. Fertilize. Give it some food. Fertilize the thing. We know how to promote growth in our gardens. We know how to promote growth in our lawns. Why is it so hard for us to know how to promote growth so that the Word of God, the Word of Christ, dwells in us richly? We know what to do. It's not blind to us. What is something else you can do to help promote your garden to get it to be the best that it can be? we got fertilized. we got water. Weeds. Do we want lots of weeds? We want a, we want a lack of weeds, right? The Word of God said it to us over in Matthew chapter 13 that one of the enemies of the Word that came in was thorns and thistles. Weeds. That they would come on in and they would choke the Word. You don't want... Weeds coming in and choking the thing. So you keep the weeds out. You keep the fertilizer in and you water it. You give it attention. If the rains aren't falling, you get the hose out. Right? You don't, you're not dependent on waiting on Mother Nature to come along and bring the rain. If the rain doesn't come on its own, you bring it. Bring that hose, get that sprinkler, get the things going. Because the, the garden... Seems to do just fine whether the, the rain falls from the sky or falls from your hose. Seems to do just good. This is good. You get it out there and you do that. As long as you promote it, oh, it's doing good. Oh, it's helpful. We have a couple of uh, new areas, uh, some new plantings, and my wife's been getting out there pretty regularly and putting a sprinkler on. And you know, when you use a sprinkler, other stuff gets watered. How many of y'all know that? You ever use a sprinkler and you're trying to sprinkle the garden, but what happens? It gets in other places, doesn't it? And so when we had that really dry period that was going on and the rest of the grass wasn't growing so well, all the grass that was near the areas where she was watering, guess what happened? It kept growing at the same rate it was growing before. We had to keep getting out there with a the lawnmower and just cut it down. Even though the rest of the lawn didn't need it, right over there did. Because it was getting water. It was having some attention paid to it. And this stuff grew. You want the word of God to dwell richly, use as much sense as you've used on your lawn and in your garden. And get it to grow. Get it to be abundant. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, we need to do this. It says, let the peace of God rule you, if you didn't get that one. Be the umpire. I put this in your outline. I want you to get this one. This is important for folks to get. Many Christians let the words of men dwell in them richly. Many Christians let the words of men dwell in them richly. They water the words of men. They hear what the news people say. They hear what the boss says. They hear what the neighbors say. They hear what the doctor says. They hear what the dentist says. They hear what all these other people say. How many of y'all know there's a lot of reports coming to you from all over? And we can hear what men say and we can go to sleep thinking about what men have said, what people have said. And we can dwell on those things. Then what will, will, uh, what will dwell on us richly? What they're saying. Many Christians let the words of men dwell on them richly, but when they need God's Word to work, expect some confession of it to overcome what dwells in them. Many, in other words, like this. Many Christians have given themselves to worry, fret, and anxiety over a number of things, and they live like this so that these things dwell on them on a rich basis. They meditate on the fact that they're a failure. They meditate on the fact that things have not worked out well for them. They meditate on the fact of the sickness and disease that has plagued them for years. They meditate on the fact that bad things always seem to come their way. They meditate on this. Out of the words of their mouth, we locate their heart. If something goes on in their lives, that's not good. Well, if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. That always happens to me. I know if I was the last person on earth, that probably wouldn't happen to me still. And they, they think, the, they say these things because they firmly believe them. Because they've meditated on it. The words of men, the wisdom of men is what dwells in them richly. And out of their mouth comes these things. Out of their mouth come words of anger. No one here, but you know, other places. They get angry. They're not gentle all the time. They're not speaking the the ways that the Word of God was just commissioning us to be speaking and to having, having that gentleness be evident to all men and all the different things. No, when they get mad, they just fly off the handle. They just speak whatever things come to mind. They cuss, and they're always telling this thing to go here and that thing to go there. Condemning things. And then they get to a place where they need to be healed. They get to a place where they need... A financial miracle. They get to a place where they need God to work in their life. They need to get to a place where they need the wisdom of God. And they begin to feed on the things of the Word of God for that and begin to out of their mouth have a confession. I believe that this is going to be this way. But they've got years of of feeding the wrong things. And they think that you know in a couple of days of confessing the word I ought to take care of it. Well the word of God's not dwelling in you richly something else is dwelling in you richly. This is why the Word of God says you adapt this pattern. This is your pattern of life. This is how you ought to be. Many Christians let the words of men dwell in them richly. But when they need God's Word to work, expect some confession of it to overcome what dwells in them. And they go around and say, Well, I believe God I'm healed. I believe God that this is taken care of. I believe God that I got the job. I believe God that the peace of God encompasses me. I believe God that I'm protected. I believe God that I have wisdom. And they believe God for all these things and they get out there, you know, for the day, two days, three days, they begin to confess this thing and speak this thing and see no change in their situation and get frustrated. Why? Well, you've got years of working on the weeds. You haven't spent a whole lot of time on the rest of it. Now, God doesn't want to grow up weeds in you. Most of the time when God's talking about growing things in you, He's talking about things that have a lasting nature. He relates us to be a tree. Trees don't grow quickly, do they? They take some time. Give yourself some time. Keep walking in the Word of God. Get so convinced in it, you just walk in that Word. And you keep going. James chapter 5. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. (laughs) How many of you are patient to the coming of the Lord? How many times have we said ourselves, Oh, dear God, come on. Oh, dear Lord, you need to come now. Oh, I'm so tired of being here in this earth. I'm so tired of all the problems. I'm so tired of all the stuff going on. Oh, dear Lord, please come now. Are we patient? No, <laughs> no we are not, are we? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly when the Lord's coming. I was thoroughly convinced He wasn't coming in May. Just because of the billboard that was out there. Now I'm thoroughly convinced he's not coming in October. <laughs> thoroughly convinced. Thoroughly convinced. He's not coming in October. I think he may have just have written off the whole year. You know what? That's just right off that whole year. We were thinking about this year. But you know what? No, that's not even due this year. That's just waiting to another year. Because, you know, that bozo out there is over there talking about stuff. And God's not going to give any honor to that or any credence to that. So I think if this year was up in the air that, you know, Jesus is wondering, should we go now? I think it's out. I think it's gone. That's just my opinion. I don't know for sure. I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. <laughs> but what, one thing I do know is that we need to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Patient until the coming of the Lord. Now, you know what describes a patient person, don't you? How many of you have ever told your, your, your little ones when they were little, or you were told when you were little, this afternoon we're going to go to so-and-so for lunch? We're going to go to Wendy's, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, something like that. Some place that they were excited about. We're going to go there for lunch. And you told them that when they first got up in the morning. What happens for the rest of the morning? Is it lunchtime yet? Can we go now? Are they open? Can we go now? Are they patient? No, they're anxious. We want to go now. So after a while of doing that, you learn that we don't tell where we're going until five minutes before we leave. Right? All right, we're going to leave in five minutes. Get ready. Where are we going? Well, we're going to go to so-and-so for lunch. Oh, good, good, good. Because <laughs> you don't want to hear it all that other the time, do you? You don't want to get into all that. sort. Of, so you don't, you don't even mention anything until you know. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Make sure that the way we behave ourselves down here on the earth is in such a way that we're patient. That God would describe us as being patient. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You watch farmers, when they go out there in the spring and they put that thing down, they don't come back in a day. Where is it? Where's the corn? We put it in there yesterday. We waited the whole day. Where's the corn? They don't come back in the next week either, do they? They put it in there and they just let it go. you go going out there and you look a week later and there's nothing happening out there. I thought you planted corn. Did. There's nothing there. Sure enough, there is. Just be patient. And if you get out there and you want to start walking on it, looking at it, like, get off there. That corn's growing. You're going to kill it. I don't see nothing. I don't care if you don't see it. It's growing. That that farmer's patient in it. He put the seed in. He knows it's coming. I don't have to see it. I don't have to get out there and dig it up. It's coming. You go out there and you dig it up, you're not helping it out any, are you? How the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Well, there's nothing worse than if you're growing corn and to harvest it too early. You ever have corn harvested too early? Don't taste quite as good. A little hard. Not quite uh, developed. Those little kernels of corn are not as big as they ought to be. Is that where they get that little stuff they put in the Chinese food? I always wonder, where do they find those things? Those little things like that? I have no idea where they are. I don't even know what they are. I don't do Chinese food a whole lot, so I have no curiosity inside of me at all to find out where they get them. <laughs> if you all know where they get them, good. Some movie was out there, and they had some guy over there, and they took the little piece of corn thing, and he was there and trying to eat it like a corn on a cob. I don't know what that was. I just saw the commercial for the movie and thought that was kind of funny. But we want the fruit to become ready. And the farmer knows how to wait. And he knows when to say, all right, it's time. Let's go out there and get the corn. In the same way, he says in verse 8 you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. It's coming. We know it's coming. It's coming in due time. God's going to get us just when we need to be gotten. It's not going to be too late. If He hasn't gotten us yet, it's because He doesn't need to. If we're still here, it's because there's still more work that can be done and we should get out there and do it. And until He comes back, it's fine. Don't get over there and be nervous. Well, I don't... He might be too late. This whole earth could fall apart. Ah, it's alright. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Oh, boy. Don't grumble against one another, boy. we can sure do that one. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Oh, let's take a look at some of those prophets. Did they not suffer? Were they not patient? Wasn't Jeremiah patient? Wasn't Isaiah patient? Ezekiel? Elisha? Elijah? Just kept on going. Kept doing the work of the Lord. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. We'll just look to them. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. We count them blessed who endure. The blessed ones are the ones who endure. 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 How long should you endure? A day? A day? Is that enough endurance? Two days? Okay, have it a whole week. Who's ready to put in for seven weeks? Seven weeks. So you we can't put a time limit on it. Since you put a time limit on it, it's, it's over. You can't put a time limit on it. Can't say, "Well, I'll hold off for a week, then I'll get anxious." Well, you just disqualified yourself. Word of God said, "Be anxious for." Didn't say be anxious for things after you waited a week. Be anxious for nothing. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. When you think of Job, how many of you think perseverance? I don't know about you, but when I think of Job, I think of trouble. I think of problems. I think of losing everything. Poor Job. I mean, he's over there doing his thing, and then all of a sudden, in one day, he loses his business, he loses his family. Disaster strikes, and all these things come come against him, and oh, it's just terrible. And then after all that, he he finds out, you know, that his body's being attacked, and he's got boils, and can't do nothing but lay there. And then his wife turns against him and says, "Just curse God and die." And then his friends come in, and boy, they're no help. And he's just laying on the bed, can't go anywhere and do anything. He's got to sit there and listen to them. here they are, bellyaching about their own stuff, their understanding of God, as great as it was. They didn't understand anything about God. Job didn't even understand a whole lot, but he sure understood more than they did. And then God came in and says, man, you're all wrong. But when you think of Job, I don't know that the first thing we think of is perseverance. He's laying there on the bed, and he does his share of complaining, doesn't he? I don't understand why I'm here. This isn't quite fair. This isn't quite right. We don't always think of perseverance. But apparently, he makes it here in James, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Well, after Job went through all that and God didn't send it, God didn't direct it, we saw that Satan found ways. If you were with us before when we went through the book of Job, we saw that Satan found ways to get in his own head. And to create fear and to create expectation of bad things and use that to get in and to take away all, all this stuff. God didn't do it. God didn't want all that stuff to happen. How many of y'all know that even though in the end he got uh, twice as many kids as he had before, you still missed the first ones? Wouldn't you? he had one or two houses before, maybe he's got two or four, he's got double the houses now. He's got double the livestock, he's got double the possessions, he's got more money now than he had before. But he still went through some stuff, and God doesn't want us to go through that. Don't get it out of the book of Job that, well, God wants us to go through some things and see how we do. The devil got opportunity. Don't give him opportunity. He became fretful. He became anxious. He became worried. And the Word of God tells us we shouldn't be doing that. But here in James, it's looking at the perseverance of Job. Let's take a look at the perseverance side. Take a look at Joseph. Did Joseph persevere? How long did Joseph persevere for? A week? Two weeks? Many years, didn't he? Many years persevering and waiting. How long did Abraham persevere for? Now, in the beginning, it wasn't all patiently, was it? He's out there doing his share of complaining. Grumbling that, you know, this wasn't going on. This wasn't quite happening in the way that it should. But when he finally got to the place where he was in faith, he persevered and he didn't sit there and complain to God. Well, I don't have any kids yet. I don't have all this stuff yet. Remember how God, his God's strategy for Abraham... He'd take him outside and he'd show him the sand. He'd take him outside and he show him the stars. Because he was out there in the wilderness. He was out there in the desert places. You know one of the things you see all the time out in desert places? Stars and sand. You see them all the time. In the daytime, you see the sand. In the, in the uh, nighttime, you see stars. You think you see stars around here? Wait until you get to a place where there's no city lights. You'll see stars like you never saw stars before. Because there are stars all over. Anybody else interested in Hubble telescope pictures? I go up there every once in a while just to look at some of the stuff. And and sometimes I'll just take the Hubble telescope and they'll point it in an area, a small section of space, and just leave the lens open. And thousands of stars where it looked like it was just black show up. One thing there's plenty of is there's, there's stars. He was trying to get them to, I want you to envision this. I want you to see this. And then he began to change how he was talking. I don't want you to talk yourself as a person who doesn't have any kids. I want you to go around and say, I am the father of many nations. I am Abraham. So he got to, he's trying to change what he saw. From that point on, from the time that God told him that, every time he walked around and he see a whole lot of sand, what's he thinking about? Oh, that's what God said my kids were going to be like. At nighttime, when he lays down to rest and he looks up in the sky and he sees What's he thinking about? That's what God said my kids were going to be like. Like all those stars. That's what God said. And then when he's walking around in the daytime and he meets people, Hi, I'm so-and-so. And he says, I am Abraham. Oh, father of many nations. Wow, how many kids do you have? None. But they're coming. He had to get him to... To change the way he talked. He had to get him to change the way that he saw. And eventually he got into a place where he patiently endured. When the Lord came to him and said that this time next year you're going to have a kid. He didn't jump up and down and said, well, it's about time. Man, I've been waiting here for so long. You know how old I am now? You know how old Sarah is? And that boy is about time. He didn't do all that. He said, all right. It's good. He's patient. He's waiting. Another year? No problem. I can wait another year. I can wait two years if you want. I'm fine. I know it's coming. I know it's mine. Perseverance. The perseverance of the saints, the perseverance of the people who have gone before us. That's the thing we've got to remember out. Now, when it talks about here, the perseverance, or if your translation says patience, is the same word. The word comes comes from a, a word meaning cheerful or hopeful. Endurance. Constancy. Enduring patience. Patient, continuing, or waiting. That's what it's talking about. Cheerful. Cheerful. If you are waiting patiently, you are cheerful about it. You're not grumpy. You're not grumbling complaining. You're not going to God in prayer and say, Well, God, I'm really glad for this and that, but you know, I haven't got this yet. No, cheerful. Hopeful. Endurance. Consistency. Uh, constancy. Enduring patience. Patient, continuing. Waiting. He was patient. And persevering. He waited for God to come along. Right? God, you said you'd replace all this stuff. I thank you that you replaced it. Even though he went went out and didn't have anything right now. He patiently persevered and waited. In John chapter 20, Verse 24, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of his nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside. And Thomas with them, Jesus came, doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. I guess you'd have to say that to people if you just showed up in a room where all no, the doors were locked. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at My hands and reach your hand here and put it in My side and do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and My God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen Me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet, what? Believe. Believe. And yet believe. I put this in your outline for you. You can't walk by faith all the while looking for physical evidence. You can't walk by faith all the while looking for physical evidence. Thomas is not walking by faith. He's looking for physical evidence. You cannot walk by faith all the time looking for something physical to show up. Well, I believe that I've received that. And as soon as I see a sign, it's not how it happens. In John chapter 4, verse 48, speaking about the nobleman, Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. He's not too thrilled about that whole idea, is he? Now look at it this way. if I say, Jesus is mine, and you can fill in the blank there. I didn't I, mine's blank too. Mine's just as blank as yours. I put a blank in mine, I put a blank in yours because you can just fill in whatever you want. Jesus is mine, what is he to you right now? What is it that you need? You need a healer? you need a provider? You, whatever it is that you need, counselor, whatever it is that you need, you just fill that in there. Jesus is my. If I say Jesus is my blank, and when a bad report comes to me, say, Well, I guess he didn't. Blank again, whatever it is. Well, Jesus is my provider. Well, I guess he didn't provide. If you get a bad report, how many times do we want to do that? We can go from here and say, Well, was I never in faith? Was I never in faith? If I believed that Jesus was my provider, if I believed that Jesus was my healer, if I believed Jesus was my counselor, if I believed Jesus was my whatever it was that I needed, and it didn't happen, was I never in faith? Now, here's what I want you to get. We did all this to get to this point. This is the main part that you have to understand. Remember over there, on, for those of you who are here on Wednesday night, when Paul gets to Ephesians, and he says, Finally, I could put that right here, that same Greek word, finally. That means if you forget everything else, here's the part to remember. Here's the part you've got to focus on. If I say, Jesus is my, and you fill in your blank, and it doesn't happen, or you get a bad report, and it takes you another way, and the temptation is to go and say, well, I guess He didn't, whatever. Was I never in faith? What left me? What is it that made the difference? At one point, I'm saying, Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my counselor. Jesus is my whatever it is that I need. Jesus is that. And I'm going around, Jesus is my, Jesus is my, Jesus is my. And all of a sudden, it doesn't happen. I get a bad report or I come to the conclusion that it's not there. I am no longer patiently enduring, am I? I have given up. I'm just like the Israelites. We talked about that before. When they came to the promised land, They endured all the wilderness, but they didn't endure very well because every time they had an opportunity to doubt God, what did they do? They doubted God every single time. So they got to the promised land. The the spies came back and gave a good report of the land, but a bad report of the inhabitants and said, we cannot defeat them. And so they all said, oh, it's not going to happen. Oh, it's not going to go that way. Oh, it's not. Before they were saying, Jesus is the one who's going to deliver me. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is not my deliverer. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's appoint someone else and go back to Egypt. What changed? What is it that left them? If we are in a place where we believe that Jesus is my and we fill in the blank for whatever it is we need in this part of our life, Jesus is my and all of a sudden it goes around, what left me? There is something that has gone. And that thing is understanding. That was what had left you. When understanding left it means that what the Word was in me can be stolen, scorched, or choked. That's just review from a couple of weeks ago. Whatever, whatever understanding leaves me, the Word that has been sown in me can be stolen, scorched, or choked. Isn't that right? That's not going to help me out a whole lot. If I let the Word that's supposed to become fruitful become stolen scorched or choked it's not going to be fruitful if it falls into one of those first three soils does it there's no fruit from it because i didn't patiently endure i didn't pay. james is even using the same example the farmer patiently endure we need as this, when the word is sown in us we need to patiently endure we need to water the right stuff I did a search on the internet just to make sure I could find it for you. There's a a service we went over about a year ago. It's called Smart Water. Anybody remember that one? It's up there. If you want to go back there and get it, you can look at that. Because the way the Word of God goes, God can water the, the, the seeds and not the weeds. Glory to God. He's got Smart Water. Now, Keith Moore said something one time. He said, if you are looking to ask big if you are looking to ask big, be prepared to wait long. If you are looking to ask big, be prepared to wait long. I don't remember what sermon he, he said that in, but I do remember this part that he said. He said, I'm not saying that you have to wait long. I'm saying be prepared to wait long. That's all. Doesn't mean you have to wait long. Some things... You know, Abraham, he could wait long for the child, right? Some things are not able to be waited long on. You know, when the army's outside the, the city's walls, you can't wait 25 years. You'll be dead by then. But if you're looking to ask big, be prepared to wait long. Don't be so ready to throw in a towel just because a bad report came your way. Just because something came that way, that it doesn't seem like it's lining up with what you are believing for. Have patient endurance. Have patient endurance. There was a book that was out, and I don't know what the book was, but uh, they had the five keys to wealth. It's one of those wealth books, and you know I didn't read the whole thing, but I saw parts of it. One of the first keys from the five keys to wealth was this. Frustration kills dreams. Frustration kills dreams because frustration wipes away self-discipline. Once self-discipline goes, so does the desired result. I'll say that again for you. You can get it if you want it. Frustration kills dreams because frustration wipes away self-discipline. Once self-discipline goes, so does the desired result. See, the devil wants to get you out of being self-disciplined. You're going out there, you're meditating on the good things. You're meditating on the things that the Word of God told you to meditate on. You're letting the peace of God rule in your hearts. You're letting the peace of God be all over you. You're, you're thinking on the things, meditating on the things that the Word of God said. Think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are... And the list goes on. You're, you're, you're self-disciplined. You're thinking on these things. You're focusing on the Word of God. You're, you're watering the Word. You're fertilizing the Word. You're attending to the Word. You're getting understanding of the Word. You're doing these things. And then all of a sudden, the day hits where you say, You know what? I'm tired of waiting for this thing. I'm getting frustrated. And you give in to frustration and you throw self-discipline out the window. It's gone. And you don't go after it anymore and you get frustrated. Anybody ever known an athlete who was going for maybe be part of the Olympics? Or doing something great in the area of athletics? And they were disciplined. Every morning they'd get up and they'd work out. Every night they'd they'd do something else to, to get ready. If they were a swimmer, they're in the pool all the time. If they're a runner, they're running all the time. If they're in track and field, they're doing hurdles. They're doing field events. they're Whatever it is, they're always out there doing it. They're working at it continually, going and going and going. Then all of a sudden, one day, somebody says something to them. Something happens in one of the events that they're at, and they get the idea, I can't do this. And frustration sets in. And all those years of working... They throw out the window. And the next day they get up and they don't work out. They don't go anywhere. Are they going to accomplish the goal? Absolutely not going that way. Don't ever get frustrated. Don't ever get tired and waiting down here. Well, Father God, just come on back now for me. I'm done. Nope, just keep on going. Frustration kills dreams. Don't let it kill yours. Don't let it kill yours. The more sure I understand the Word I receive, the more sure I understand the Word I receive, the more patient perseverance I walk in when tests and trials come. The more sure I understand the Word that has been sown in me, the Word I receive, the more patient perseverance I walk in when tests and trials come. It's the level of your understanding of that Word. When you come into the area of healing, when you come into the area of prosperity, when you come into the area of money, wisdom, whatever it is that you need, there are different levels of understanding of the Word of God. And you can grow in those levels. How many have ever seen that commercial? I think it's Orbitz. And they have the guy who has the hovercraft. And the guy with the hovercraft, he comes flying on in and he brings the check to the people, and you, know, you get in the hovercraft, and you, I like the one where somebody else got in the hovercraft and tried to do something with it, and it wasn't working out so well. How many of you ever like those hovercrafts, want to get one, buy one, have one for yourself? Get in that hovercraft and, and so forth. I mean, they, they look really cool. If you were in a hovercraft, like it was on the commercial, and you are flying around, and you get in the hovercraft, and that hovercraft gets off the ground a foot or two, is that not cool? How many of you all would do that? Get in the hovercraft and get on the ground and just you know, lift up just like he was, just a foot or two, and then you can just kind of skip on around and the bumps of the road don't affect you. You just go hovering around. That would be all right. Now, think of yourself out in Arizona in the hovercraft, and then all of a sudden, you know, the hovercraft, one or two feet off the ground, this is all okay, this is all good, and then all of a sudden, we are out over the Grand Canyon. Does that change things? But it's the same hovercraft. Why has anything changed? Why is it that all of a sudden you're okay with the hovercraft one or two feet off the ground, but getting out over the Grand Canyon? That's a mile down. Right? It's the same hovercraft. It's the same engine that was there before, right? It's the same principle that was working. There's nothing that changed. But all of a sudden, going out over, a mile down, <laughs> I'm not so sure about this. Why is that? I asked God about that for, for a bit. Because, you know, sometimes we can have faith for headaches, but if it comes to something life-threatening happening, you all know it can be a little challenging. We can have faith that I can have wisdom of God to know what to do with my job. But when it comes to a life-or-death situation for my family, and I need the wisdom of God. How many of y'all know? Huh, gets a little more wondering. I can have the wisdom of God when I about taking this job or this job. I don't have to move. I stay right here. I just move over from one place to another. This is okay. But if God is starting to deal with me and He says, alright, I want you to take this job and you got to move to a whole other state. How many of y'all know that you're thinking about that for a little bit longer? I asked them about that. Why is that? My understanding is pressed. I put this in your outline. I want you to get this. My understanding is pressed when risk increases. My understanding is pressed when risk increases. When there's not a whole lot of risk, the understanding that you have is fine. It's not a whole lot of risk. If I misunderstood it, if it doesn't quite work, what's the loss? But when the risk increases and the downfall is greater, my understanding is pressed a lot more, isn't it? My understanding is pressed when risk increases. You need to have the understanding that carries you through. How many of y'all know, you can look at this in the Word of God too. Peter had an understanding of what Jesus said in the boat. But that understanding became pressed a little bit when he was out on the water. Did did the understanding change? He still had the same understanding of what God said. He still had the same faith of what God said, but his focus was on something different. And he began to think on these things and let his understanding go so that the word that was given to him was stolen. When Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to the other side. All right, let's go to the other side. Let's all get in the boat and go. And Jesus is asleep, that's all right, Jesus, take some rest. We got this taken care of. And then the storm came on up. Well, it's okay. It's a storm. You know, we've we've handled storms before. There's no big deal. We'll get on through the storm. And then the storm got worse. All right, this is a bad storm, but you know, we're fishermen, we know how to we know what to do we got Peter, James, and John here. They'll help us through this thing. You just tell us you know what to do and, and we'll be right there to help you. And then the storm got so bad that these guys said, man, we haven't seen a storm like this. This is like no storm we have ever been in. We might die. I mean, if you've got fishermen that have been on that sea for a long time saying we might die, I'm sure guys like Matthew, the tax collector, are in panic mode. They're like, man, <laughs> if you guys think we're going to die, it's over. This is it. <laughs> we're going down. And then somebody goes on down and, and they get Jesus. Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? You see, all this time before, when there was no storm, it's no big deal. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. When the storm came up, this is still no big deal. We can take care of this storm. storm got worse. Alright, this is going to push us, but we can still do this. And then all of a sudden now, it seems like, alright, we can't battle this thing. This is more than we can handle. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? You see, when risk increases, it presses the understanding that we have to see well how much do you really understand that word and are you ready to hang on to it? When Jesus got up in the boat and he spoke to the wind and the waves and he said, Peace spoke to the to the wind actually, peace be still. And the waves subsided, he turned to his disciples and said, That all you need me for, boys? What did he say? Where's your faith? How is it you have no faith? What's going on here? How is it that your understanding that worked on the shore didn't carry over to here? How is it that I told you, let's go to the other side, you didn't have the wherewithal to believe that? How is it that the Israelites, when Jesus said, I'm going to take you to a promised land, kept finding reasons why they weren't going to make it? When understanding is pressed Our understanding is pressed when risk increases. Now go back to some of the stories we just looked at. How high was the risk for Daniel in the lion's den? How high was the risk? Was it every bit as high as what it was for the disciples on the sea? How high was it for his three buddies? Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. How high of a risk was it to be tossed into the fiery furnace. Was the risk there? What happened to their understanding? It didn't change. Their understanding was the same before the furnace as it was after. Daniel's understanding was the same before the threat of the, of the lion's den as it was after. Our goal is to get to that place where no matter what the risk, our understanding is stays. Father God, I understand your word to mean this. And I'm just going to go ahead and believe that. I don't care what the risk, I don't care what the pressure, I don't care what it is that's coming against us here, I'm going to believe it. And we just go. We just go. When understanding is pressed, risk has increased. Your risk is increasing. And it's pressing the understanding that you have. What are you going to do? Now, that's not always life and death situations that do this. Look at some of the other examples we looked at. When Eve is in the garden, does she have an understanding of what the Word of God is or what God has commanded about the tree? She surely does. Did her understanding become pressed? And it wasn't because the risk increased; it's because she thought she's going to lose out on something, didn't she? Why is it that Israel went over to idols? Did they not have the understanding to serve the Lord God only? They had that understanding. They had all the ceremonies. They had all this, the things that, that told them about it. But they saw, look at these guys. Look at the things they do in their service. We don't do stuff like that in ours. I mean, why? Wow, look at that. We never had that show up in one of our things. That looks kind of fun. And they began to feel like they were going to lose out on something. It doesn't always have to be a risk of life to get you to leave the understanding that you have. It can be cares, worries, concerns, whatever. But what does the Word of God have to say? What is the Word of God to you? What is the Word that is spoken to you? What is the Word that has been revealed to you in His written Word? What has He spoken to you in the Spirit? What has He said? And what is challenging that understanding? When risk increases, and that doesn't have to be risk of life. It can be risk of losing something you like, gaining something that you want. When risk increases, understanding is pressed. Has your understanding become pressed today? This week, this month, recently? Can you see things in your life where the understanding you have of something that God's Word has said is becoming challenged, is becoming pressed because you are being mindful of something else that you're risking, I may not be able to have this. Adam said, "I may not be able to keep this gal. He wasn't deceived; she was deceived. He knew full well. But if she's going to kick you out of the garden, I don't want to get kicked. I don't, I don't get kicked out with her. He chose her. What's the risk? What is it that is being dangled in front of you, saying you might lose this if you hang on? To your principles of faith, you might lose your job. You're not going to get wealthy. God's not going to prosper you. You're not going to have the wisdom and understanding that you need. Look at the friends that have rejected you because of your stand on the Word of God. Look at how the world rejects you because of your stand on the Word of God. You want to keep losing that? And He keeps messing with us, trying to get us to challenge our understanding because in the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, we looked at two weeks ago. The challenge was, some fell on soil, the birds came and stole it because they had no understanding. Others got choked out by the sun because the root didn't go down deep. Others got choked out by the weeds and the thorns and became unfruitful. All three of those soils are not no place to be. The word that was supposed to produce something in them did not produce a thing. But others produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. What's being dangled in front? You can choose what God has promised you, what God has said, and have faith for that, and not doubt it. And doubt was being offered behind door number two. The devil can sit up there with all his doors. How many all remember Let's Make a Deal? Who was that guy who did that? Monty Hall. Monty Hall. Some of you younger ones probably don't remember Monty Hall, but he was good for that show. I always remember him with a really long, thin microphone with the big head up on the top. All right, you got $500 in your hand. You can walk home with that $500, or you can take what's behind door number one. Or you can take this package that, what's the gal's name? Gal that brought all the stuff down and did all the doors and, I think it was Carol or something earlier. Or you can have the curtain. What's behind the curtain? You can have behind the, what's behind this door. You can have this package. The devil is always trying to do, let's make a deal. The thing is, he's offering you something that's a bit unknown what you know you have in your hand. You can have that little tiny package or you can have what's behind curtain. can you put this behind a door. Curtain number one. What do you want? And how many of y'all know as soon as that challenge goes out, what happens in the audience? No, no, no. Yes. Yes. Door number one. Door number two. Door number three. And the person sits there and they're puzzled and they decide, all right, I'm going to go for door number one. And they trade the package they have. And they take door number one. And a lot of times he gives them one more chance. I'll, I'll tell you what, for $500, I'll buy door number one off of you. How about that? No, no, I'm going to hang on to door number one. And then sometimes they open it up and there's that cow behind door number one. And you hear the music. Doo, 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 doo. And then they open up the thing that they had. And it was something large, something good. God has given you His Word. He's given you something good. He's given you something large. What He promised you, He will do. Just don't doubt Him. Don't doubt Him. You're going to be given every opportunity to doubt Him. Because when the Word of God has been sown on the inside of you, when God has spoken to you from His Word, when God has spoken to you through His Spirit, when God has come through other people and spoken to you and confirmed it with His Word, and you have that Word, you're hanging on to that, you are going to be having carrots dangled to your left, carrots dangled to your right, door number one, curtain number two, package number three, $500 envelope. You're going to have all kinds of stuff thrown at you to try and get you to give up. That you got. People are going to come along and challenge you. Do, you. do you really think what's behind door number one is all that good? Do you really think that? I know you have that right now, but do you really think that's so good? How about how about this one over here? And we're always going to be offered stuff in this side, this side, and this side, and this side. Don't take it. Hang on to what God's word said. Doubt what the enemy says. Oh, how our world would be different if Eve just said, devil, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt what you're saying is true. I doubt it. I'm going to hang on to what God said. What has God spoken to you? And are you tempted right now to get off of it? Would you all stand up with me? Father God, you know the situations that we face. You know the things that come our way. You know what's being dangled in front. But glory to God. We don't have to give in. We don't have to falter. Just as the song said, no matter what the storm is that comes against us, no matter what it is that comes our way, our God, (laughs) our God is so great. Our God is so great. You told us, Father, in Your Word, to patiently endure. Until you arrive. We will patiently endure holding on to your word for salvation. Holding on to your word for healing. Holding on to your word for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Holding on to your word that your word is true. That your promises are true. That what you have said you will do. We will hang on to that. We know that there are plenty of temptations, there are plenty of things that are out there, plenty of things to try and pull us off. But in the name of Jesus, we will not give in. We will stand. We will stand. If you're here today, and I'm not going to ask you to come up front. If you're here today and you say, I have been faced with all kinds of temptations to get off something that God told me. Something that God steered me in the direction of something that God spoke this to me I believe this thing I heard this whatever it is you have understanding of it and then something came along to try and challenge you on that trying to steal that word that's been sown on the inside of you before it got to be rooted, rooted down on the on the inside and became fruitful if that speaks to you today raise your hand we want to pray for you as we pray here today some situation challenging you glory to God Father we thank you That you are the God who doesn't sit up there with a big paddle just waiting for us to get out of line and just whop. You are the God who cares. You are the God who showed His will through Jesus that when Jesus saw someone in sin, didn't throw stones at her. But simply said when all the accusers left, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. His gentleness was known to all. He's the same one that the man came to him and said, Lord, I believe. Help now my unbelief. And he did. He's the same one who had compassion on the multitude and healed their sick. He's the same one. Father, we thank you for that example that we have. We will hold on to your word. We will do the thing that you said to do. Believe what you promised. And not let any report steer us away. We will doubt the reports that try and steer us away and believe your word. And though some of our situations, maybe the risk is higher than it was in some others. Challenging our understanding. Pressing it, it seems. But we stand with it. The word of God talked about encouraging people. I hope you take this opportunity this week. Encourage people. Encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Too often as believers, we want to sit there and say, look what you did. No. Encourage people in their walk with the Lord. God is looking for faith and will answer faith in whatever place He can find it. and whatever level of faith He can find, He will answer it. Great faith, some faith, He will answer it. But He's looking for faith. He's looking for those situations. Find out what is the will of God. Know what the will of God is for your situation, and stand on it. Don't be don't be steered off.